Ladies and gentlemen, you are tuned in live to a brand new episode of The Sandlot with your host, Jordan Charles, and we have an absolute killer of a show today for you. Thank you for tuning in. What a weekend it was of divisional round football. Playoff football is the best football. I have said it my entire life, and I will continue to say it. The greatest moments, the greatest athletes come out and put on a show in divisional weekend, and that's exactly what we got this past weekend. Sure, the Philly Atlanta game wasn't, you know, as high flying, high scoring as some would have liked, but it was a dogfight, just like I said it would be. The Eagles are moving on to the NFC Championship game. Philly, we will get into it in just a few moments. I humbly apologize for counting you guys out. I did take Atlanta, and you know what? Maybe I'll take Minnesota just to give you guys a good luck charm. I don't want to bring any bad juju to Philly. Of course, we have the New England Patriots moving on over the Tennessee Titans. We're not going to get into that game too much. I am going to give you the exact point in which Tennessee lost that game. And it may not seem like such a big deal, but if you've played New England a lot, like my team has, we've had plenty of these moments, and it's cost us the game as well. Then we're going to move into into Sunday's divisional games. Jacksonville and Pittsburgh, what a show that was. I remember saying that the Jags were going to pull the upset multiple times. You could thank your host for calling that one correct. And then we're going to get into the wild finish that was the Minnesota Vikings upsetting the New Orleans Saints in the last seconds on a 61-yard touchdown pass to Stephon Diggs. I have the audio of the crowd put on hold for you. I want you to hear it. It's it's bone-chilling. It'll give you chills. It really will. I've listened to it probably 12 times already, and every time Diggs stays on his feet, keeps his balance, and takes it down the sideline for that touchdown, I just get chills the way the crowd just erupts. That's the best thing about playoff football. But first and foremost, Philly, this one's for you. Eagle fans, can I ask you a question? How happy are you guys right now? How good does this feel? It's been seven long years since I've 
been able to watch my team go to the AFC Championship game. So, so how excited are you? You get to host the game at home for the first time since 2004. And hey, you know, not to say that history repeats itself, but it just might. Because in 2004, the Eagles did beat Atlanta and the Vikings in route to the Super Bowl where they played the New England Patriots. Now, looking back on that game, Terrell Owens, you know, was on one leg, but unfortunately the Eagles couldn't get it done back then. And that was, you know, disappointing to me as it is to everybody else because none of us, none of us wants to see New England win anymore. None of us. We hate New England, right? All of us. We all don't like the Patriots. So let's get into the game, folks. Let's get into it. Now, I feel the turning point of the game was late in the second half, Right before halftime, the Eagles are driving, Falcons are up 10-6, and Nick Foles, who did not have a good first half, let, let me, I don't, I don't want to, you know, kill your vibe right away, Eagles fans, but if Nick Foles does not play better in the first half next week, that's a game that you will not win. Because Minnesota isn't tired and banged up like Atlanta. Minnesota has a lot to play for. They, they get to play the Super Bowl at their home stadium if they win this game. So Nick Foles cannot play that way in the first half, but they did find a way to win. Anywho, Foles comes out. He's driving right before halftime, trying to put some points on the board. It's 10-6 Atlanta. Foles does what he did pretty much the entire first half. He sails one high over the middle and... Second-year safety for the Atlanta Falcons, Keanu O'Neal, for some reason or another, I don't know why, he jumped up so high and brought his knees to his chest to try to intercept this ball. He probably could have stood still right where he was, and it would have hit him right in his chest or right in the hands. And so anyway, Keanu O'Neal, he jumps up high, it hits him right in the knee, it bounces back, you know, uh, <laughs> probably bounced about 10 yards back in the air, and lands right in the hands of Torrey Smith, which then sets up the Philadelphia Eagles in field goal range. And the Eagles, rookie kicker who has had a phenomenal season, bangs through a 53-yarder. Now it's 10-9 going in. Coming out uh, at halftime, Philadelphia did get the ball. Uh, you know, it was a dogfight, like I said it would be. The Eagles' defensive line won the game. Now, Philly fans... And everybody who laughed at me for picking Philadelphia to win the NFC East and have an NFC Championship game berth. Remember, earlier, before the season even started, before week one even kicked off, your host, Jordan Charles of the Sandlot, picked the Philadelphia Eagles to win the NFC East and go to the NFC title game because of their offensive and defensive lines. I said it then, and I'll say it now. The Eagles have the best front seven in football. Now, Minnesota, Minnesota's definitely there with them. I'm not, I'm not knocking the Vikings at all. Minnesota's definitely there with them. But when it came down to it, the Philadelphia Eagles front seven took over that game. They made sure they said 10 points. Okay, 10 points. That's it. Matt Ryan, you're not doing anything else. They shut down Devontae Freeman. They shut down Mohamed Sanu. They shut down Coleman. They were in Matt Ryan's face the entire second half. And Jalen Mills, the young, the young defensive back for the Philadelphia Eagles, 
I'll tell you what, he gave up a couple of, you know, gave up a couple of passes to Julio Jones, but to play man on man against Julio Jones the way he did the entire game was extremely impressive. And after everything Philadelphia has lost, that's why I went with Atlanta. I thought the loss of Jason Peters and, you know, the few linebackers and defensive players that the Eagles have lost due to injury and the loss of Carson Wentz, who I don't care what anybody says and I don't care who wins the award. Carson Wentz is the 2017 NFL MVP. So losing all of that and, you know, having a bye week and, and playing the, the red hot Atlanta Falcons with Matt Ryan, you know, I went with my gut. I took Matt Ryan and the Falcons. I thought they would outplay Nick Foles and I was wrong. I humbly admit that I was wrong, Eagle fans. I really do. Deep down, I apologize. I am, I, I hope you can forgive me and forgive me for the fact that I did make the predictions that I made earlier on. So let's talk about the end of that game real fast before we move into our quick recap of the Titans and Patriots game because, you know, I don't think any of us enjoyed that one. Three out of four games this weekend were awesome to watch. And, of course, the one game that was the most boring and and the hardest to watch was the Patriots game. Now, the Patriots took care of business. I'm not knocking them, but we'll get into that in just a moment. So, we got the final drive of the game. We got Matt Ryan, Julio Jones, and company driving down the field all the way down to the two-yard line. And instead of, you know, bringing in all their talent, Tevin Coleman, Devontae Freeman in the backfield at the same time, bringing in Hooper and Toilolu, the two tight ends, to go along with Sanu, Gabriel, and Julio Jones on the outside. You bring in probably your worst package. You bring in your third down running back who has barely played the entire game. You run a bootleg out of the shotgun formation to the short side of the field, to the weak side of the field, which is the eagle strength on defense, defending the weak side of the field. You put your eyes on one target and one target only. You gave yourself one option to throw the ball to, and that was Julio Jones, and he fell down. I don't want to hear complaining from Atlanta fans that, oh, he was pushed in the back, and it was pass interference. It was Jalen Mills is 5'7". Well, he's about 5'9", but still. Jalen Mills is, is, is half the size of Julio Jones. I don't want to hear complaints. Julio Jones fell down. He fell down on the biggest play of the season, and it happens. Sometimes guys lose their footings. That's on the play calling. That's on Matt Ryan and the, the Atlanta Falcons offensive coordinator. You only gave yourself on fourth and two on the short side of the field one option to throw the ball to. Are you insane? I know he's Julio Jones, but are you insane? How do you not have... <coughs> excuse me. How do you not have two, three, or four routes running across the back of that end zone? You could have had Sanu, wide left, coming across the back of the end zone with Freeman, Coleman, and Hooper, and had Julio Jones one-on-one on the short side of the field if that's what you wanted to do. At least make it a jump ball, fade ball situation, my guy's taller than yours. Instead, you rush your line to protect on a bootleg to the right side, which is the weakest side of the uh, of the Falcons' offensive line against Brandon Graham and Fletcher Cox. 
two of the best defensive linemen, if not the two best defensive linemen in the NFL. They were in Matt Ryan's face in no time. Matt Ryan had to get rid of that ball. It was a bad ball. Even if Julio Jones caught the ball, he would have been out of bounds, and the Eagles would have won the game either way. So that is as much Atlanta and horrible play calling as it was the Philadelphia Eagles defense standing up and making a play to win the game and finish that game off when they had to. And now the Eagles are moving on. The Falcons are going home. Atlanta, I picked you. You let me down this weekend. I went two for four in my playoff picks. I would have been three for four if not for that miraculous play by the Vikings at the end. So, Philly fans, leave some comments. Leave me some feedback. Let me know how you feel. Let me know what you think going into this weekend. Are you nervous? Are you nervous about Nick Foles? Do you think he's going to you know, play better in this game now that he's had a little bit of pressure on his back? Uh, do you think that he's going to be the Achilles heel? Do you think that he's going to hurt you in this game? Do you think your defense is going to stand up the way it did to shut down Atlanta and shut down the Minnesota Vikings and Case Keenum? Now, we'll, we'll get into Case Keenum in just a few because I want to give that guy props. I'd like to see Nick Foles play very well. I'm predicting right now, I'm not even going to wait. I'm going off the top of the head. We'll do another prediction round later, but right now I'm going to take the Philadelphia Eagles over the Minnesota Vikings. I just think, I think the home field advantage is going to play a big factor. And this is two guys, both Case Keenum and Nick Foles, two guys that were in Los Angeles last season on a 4 and 12 team with Jeff Fisher stinking it up and ruining Jared Goff's rookie season. It's a good thing those guys got out of there and went to teams that have built rosters and, ha- and care about people. Now, the Rams did the same thing. That's why they canned Jeff Fisher, and they went and got an offensive coach, and that's why they had a successful season. Just like Nick Foles, you know, and I know Carson Wentz, this was Carson Wentz's year. This was supposed to be his season, his postseason, but it's not, and Nick Foles has to step in and do the job. Case Keenum probably wasn't even expected to play much in Minnesota, And, you know, he came in after just a couple of games of Sam Bradford. I believe it was just week two. He came right in after week two, played against the Steelers out here. He lost his first start of the season. But he led the Minnesota Vikings to now their 14th win of the season. They finished with just just such an unbelievable finish. We'll get into that. So right now I'm going to go – I'm going to lean towards the team with the most momentum – And I think that's Philadelphia. I know, you know, sure, the Vikings may have a little bit more momentum because of that play. But before that play, believe me, the Minnesota Vikings thought that they were going home. So, Eagle fans, leave me some feedback. Leave me your comments. Let me know what you think. Let me know how you feel going into this weekend. This is The Sandlot with your host, Jordan Charles. And we will be right back.
Ladies and gentlemen, you are back on the Sandlot with your host, Jordan Charles. And we're going to hop right into Saturday night's divisional matchup with the Tennessee Titans and Marcus Mariota visiting Tom Brady and the New England Patriots, who we all wanted to lose. But hey, you know, when it rains, it pours, ladies and gentlemen. When it rains, it pours. And as always, the New England Patriots are moving on over the Tennessee Titans Props to Tom Brady. He had a great game. The Patriots offense had a great game. You know, the Titans had their chances, and I'm going to start off with the defining moment of this game. Now, it may not seem like that big of a deal to others, but if you're a fan of an AFC team, especially an AFC East team being the Jets, Dolphins, or Buffalo Bills, you have seen these moments happen to your team plenty of times. And it happened in a crucial moment of the game for the Tennessee Titans. The Titans went up 7-0, then they went down 14-7. Right before halftime, they were fighting back. Four minutes on the clock, they're driving. It's third and four. Eric Decker beats Malcolm Butler for a 14-yard catch and run. Ends up taking it out of bounds, stopping the clock. The Titans are in business. If the Titans could get 10 points on the board here, they still have a chance. All of a sudden, a late flag comes out. A late flag. And you always know when New England's playing and there's a late flag that something is going to go their way. Lo and behold, you look at the replay. If you watch the replay, they called an offensive pass interference on Eric Decker in the five-yard box. Him and Malcolm Butler were both tugging and pushing. Decker got a little bit of separation out of the five-yard box and beat him off the ball. And they threw an offensive pass interference flag. This then put the Titans in a third and long, third and 14 situation. And they don't have the receivers for it. They don't have the playmakers for it. They were doing what they needed to do. Get, you know, run the football to get into third and short situations where they could either run or use their short intermediate passing game to continue to move the ball and keep the drive alive. It then put them in a third and 14, which killed them. They did not get it. They had to punt. New England and Tom Brady gets the ball back with, I believe, three minutes to go on the clock and two timeouts. And Tom Brady does what Tom Brady does. Tom Brady drove right down the field, and that was it. So after that, the Titans really didn't have a chance. And, you know, first the Patriots, you know, they tuned out a week full of off-field drama with all the things that were said. Then they silenced the Titans to earn yet another trip to the AFC Championship game. Tom Brady passed for three touchdowns and 337 yards, and the New England Patriots cruised past Tennessee 35-14 on Saturday night to advance their seventh consecutive conference title game. So congratulations to the New England Patriots and their fans, you cheating pricks, all of you. Congratulations on your seventh straight AFC Conference Championship game. No matter how you got there, no matter how you get there, no matter who you beat to get there, that is extremely impressive. And I'm not sure Jacksonville has what it takes to beat the New England Patriots. So moving on, moving on the New England Patriots over the Tennessee Titans. So now we're going to get into the muck of the Sunday games. Now, before we head into this Jackson Steelers matchup and I get into it, I just want to bring up a tweet that Steeler Nation's favorite Le'Veon Bell posted 
about a day before the game, I believe. And I think he took it off of Twitter because he does look foolish now. He posted that he loves round twos and that the Steelers are going to be playing two round twos in the next two weeks, which was him completely overlooking the Jacksonville Jaguars and saying, we're just going to roll over them, we're going to steamroll them, and then we're going to worry about the big dog, we're going to head into New England. And that severely cost the Steelers the game yesterday. Now, Big Ben wants to throw his offense coordinator, Todd Haley, under the bus. That's an absolute joke. They scored 42 points, Ben threw five touchdowns. That was Todd Haley's play calling that did it. If Big Ben doesn't like the plays that are called, He's a 14-year veteran. I'm sure he has the pull on that team to call an audible at the line of scrimmage. But he chooses not to. He likes to go for the gusto. And then when, you know, he goes for the gusto on plays like in the second half when it was fourth and one and they run a play-action pass and throw it 22 yards down the field to Juju Smith-Schuster, broken up by A.J. Boye, who had an awesome game. I know he got burned a couple of times. But you couldn't play better defense than that young man played yesterday. Antonio Brown's the best receiver in the league, and he made plays. Ben likes to go for the gusto. And when Ben goes for the gusto, he likes to then blame it on his offensive coordinator when it doesn't work out. So, you know, Big Ben, I wish you would stop doing that because it makes you look like a real jerk. Because you're a 14-year veteran, Roethlisberger. You're a 14-year veteran. And you're going to sit there on national television and tell us that the play calling is over your head? The play calling's not over your head. You run the offense. You're the leader. All you have to do is ignore the little voice in your ear inside your helmet and call whatever play you feel like calling. You're a 14-year, two-time Super Bowl winning veteran of the Pittsburgh Steelers. You're the heart and soul of that offense. And instead of taking the heat for two bad plays that cost you the game and probably five plays in all that stopped you from completing that comeback, you're going to throw Todd Haley under the bus. Take some responsibility, Big Ben. Take a little bit of it on the chin. Stop acting like you're this perfect quarterback that never makes any mistakes, and that your coaching always costs you the games. Because we all know it's not true. We all know it's not true. So let's get into the game. Now, coming into this game, I did take the Jacksonville Jaguars. I went with my gut, and I picked the best defense, and I thought the best defense would win this game. And I had little to no faith in the Pittsburgh Steelers stopping the Jacksonville Jaguars. I just didn't think it would happen. I thought... The best chance that the Steelers did have would be to shut down the run game and force Blake Bortles to beat them throwing the football, which we all know he's not really comfortable doing, but it didn't work out that way. Leonard Fournette is a man. Leonard Fournette is a grown man, and he runs like it, and he did exactly what he did in the Week 5 matchup. He lowered his shoulder. He delivered the boom. His acceleration through the hole is is like none other in the league. This kid... You know, I'm not sure where the Jaguars are going to end up after this AFC Championship game, and I'm not sure what their future holds, but this is a magical season, and they deserve it, and they came out, and they punched the Steelers in the mouth. They went up 21-0. They 
They ran the ball down their throat. They played great defense. Miles Jack made probably one of the best interceptions you'll ever see in playoff football history to tip it up to himself, tiptoes, toes in bounds. You know, he, he stopped dead with the ball in his hands and his two toes tipped in bounds just to make sure he got the call. And that set Jacksonville up. Now, the Steelers fought back. And there were a couple of moments in this game where the Steelers shot themselves in the foot. I'm going to start off early on in the game. It's in the second quarter. The Steelers are down 21-7. to They're driving down the field. And it's fourth and one. And instead of running a quarterback sneak or, you know, just handing it right up the gut with Le'Veon Bell, they run a pitch play out to the right side. They couldn't flank the Jaguars' defense. The speed of Jacksonville with Dante Fowler Jr., Malik Jackson, and Jalen Ramsey, they blew the play up and stuffed Le'Veon Bell in the backfield, which I'm sure felt really, really good for them, especially with all the trash talk that Le'Veon Bell, you know, was throwing at them all week long, pretty much overlooking them while trash talking them and talking about how he's ready to just play the Patriots. So that must have felt really good. Then, right before halftime, two minutes and I think there was two minutes and 14 seconds left on the clock. Big Ben driving down the field again, trying to put some points on the board before halftime. Gets hit from behind, fumbles. Telvin Smith probably the fastest linebacker in the league. Now, now mind you, Jacksonville with Miles Jack and Telvin Smith, that is the best duo of inside linebackers in the NFL. Those two kids, they are special. They're both fast, athletic guys, and I think both of them can cover Gronkowski. It's going to be a huge matchup for them. But Telvin Smith, scoop and score, 50 yards, puts the Jags up 28-7. to Two huge turnovers by Big Ben in the first half to put – you know, the Jags up top 28 to 7. But here come the Steelers, and here comes the fight of the Steelers. On fourth and 11, Deshaun Gibson, Jaguar safety, lets Martavis Bryant get behind him. Ben drops an absolute dime into the back of the end zone because, well, hey, he is a future Hall of Fame quarterback. For all the slack that I, you know, that I like to, to take away from him and all the crap I like to give him once in a while, I still do like the guy as a quarterback, and I do think he's fantastic. So he drops an absolute dime in the back of the end zone. The second half starts. Steelers get the ball. The Steelers make it a game. Le'Veon Bell makes an unheard of catch with Telvin Smith all over him in unbelievable coverage. It wasn't even pass interference. Telvin Smith was just playing great defense on Le'Veon Bell. Somehow Bell made the play. But then Blake Bortles happened, right? I mean, Fournette, Fournette wasn't the same in the second half. We could all admit that. Fournette didn't have the same burst with that ankle injury. But he continued to play because he knew his team needed him. So he kept banging out those tough yards, the three and four yard runs, the five and six yard runs, the short yardage runs. TJ Yeldon, the third year back out of Alabama, played his tail off yesterday. TJ Yeldon had a couple of really nice runs. He had a nice touchdown run. Uh, late in the fourth quarter, when it was 35 28 Jacksonville. Uh, Blake Bortles made probably his best throw as a professional, and it was a little swing pass out to the left side. But that it, it wasn't the swing pass that was the best part of it. It was Blake Bortles finally went through his progressions. He took the snap. He dropped back. You see him make the progressions. He looks right. Nothing. He looks to the middle. 
nothing. He looks left, nothing. Swings it all the way back around to his check down, which he had enough time to do because that Jaguars offensive line absolutely dominated and manhandled and bullied the Pittsburgh Steelers defensive front seven the entire game. You can make all the excuses you want, Steeler fans. The Jaguars offense dominated you. You scored 42 points and you lost the game. Now, if you want to be real, you scored 35. You shouldn't have had that last touchdown. I think, you know, Jacksonville went into a prevent and just wanted to make sure they didn't get beat over the top early on at the end of the game there. So, you know, Blake Bortles throws that swing pass out to the flat to TJ Yeldon. Yeldon takes it 26 yards to put Jacksonville in field goal range, but Jacksonville doesn't stop there. The run game keeps him going. Yeldon picks up another first down. Bortles hits Allen Hearns for an eight-yard completion. Then he hits uh, Marquise Lee for a 12-yarder. And then they stoop the entire Steelers defense. The whole Steelers defense has been focused on Fournette and Yeldon and Hearns and Lee and Cole. Cole made an unbelievable catch on that drive to get them down to the two-yard line. And then Fournette. Oh, no, that was the drive before Net finished off. I apologize. The drive where Yeldon helped him get down into uh, uh, the red zone, you had a play-action fake to uh, Leonard Fournette, which left former Jets fullback and now cor- uh, current Jaguars fullback Tommy Bohannon wide open, sitting behind the defense because nobody was focused on him. And, hey, how often do fullbacks get the ball, especially on play-action passing plays? So, I don't really fault the Steelers linebackers for, you know, for getting beat on that, but you did get beat by a fullback right down the seam. And that was just such a gutsy play call. In that spot, to be up by seven, you know, you're trying not to blow this game. You're trying to keep, keep the heat on Big Ben and the Steelers, who just keep answering back with deep ball touchdown after deep ball touchdown. Antonio Brown had an unbelievable game. So did Ben. You know, McDonald, the tight end for the Steelers, that kid is is the next Heath Miller. He, he really has a chance to be. I think the Steelers have two Heath Millers on that team with Jesse James and uh, that young kid. I think his name is Matt McDonald. I know it's McDonald. I believe it's Matt McDonald. Two young tight ends that, that have a really bright future. So, you know, Jacksonville, Jacksonville did not blow it. Jacksonville was up 21 to zip. You know, then they had a 14-point lead. Then they had a 7-point lead. Then they stretched it back to 14. Then Pittsburgh fought back to 7. Then they stretched it back to 14. Pittsburgh stretched it back to 7. You know, 14-7. Then finally, the, the moment in the game that made absolutely no sense to me at all. No sense to me at all. It's 42-35. to 35. The Steelers just went down the field. Two minutes and 18 seconds left on the clock. The Steelers went down the field, hit Antonio Brown for another deep ball touchdown over A.J. Boye, which I'm going to stop disrespecting Antonio Brown by saying that he's one of the best receivers in the league. He is the best receiver in the league. He is unbelievable. Without Antonio Brown yesterday, I mean, he's playing on a hurt leg. He's playing on a bad calf. And to be playing on a bad calf like that, and to still be unstoppable was just, it was something special. It really was. What he did yesterday was, was amazing. He kept, he kept the Steelers in that game, him and Ben. But 
the Steelers blew their final chance when they were down, they were down 42 to 35, two minutes and 18 seconds left, and they kick an onside kick. You don't have a good kicker when it comes to onside kicks. You know, it's all, I, I don't know if any team has a good kicker when it comes to onside kicks. It's almost impossible to recover one. I think that there was a week in the regular season where there was three onside kicks recovered, uh, you know, by three different teams. And that only happens once like every 3,000 years. So two minutes and 18 seconds left with two timeouts. The Steelers should have kicked the ball deep. I know, you know, they hadn't stopped Jacksonville all day long, but this is where you need to have faith in your defense. You should have kicked it deep and, you know, load the box up because you know Jacksonville wasn't going to put the ball in the air. You would have had three clock stoppages. You would have had the two-minute warning and your two timeouts. You would have forced Jacksonville to punt, potentially. And, and you know, you would have gotten the ball back with a minute, probably a minute and a half, maybe a minute and 40 seconds, and no timeouts. Hey, a minute and 40 seconds with no timeouts, with the way they were throwing deep ball touchdowns, was, you know, that was their best chance. That was their absolute best chance. And that's on Mike Tomlin. Mike Tomlin blew it. He blew their one chance. You know, they, they kick off the onside kick. They don't get it. Uh, you know, Jacksonville ends up running the two minute warning down. They get Pittsburgh to burn their last two timeouts. They pick up a first down and they kick a 53 yard field goal, I believe it was, or a 43 yard attempt to go up by 10 and seal it. Steelers put a touchdown on the board late, but that was it. Jaguars are moving on. I called the upset. I picked the upset. I did not expect it to be that high scoring of a game. I did expect this game to be a a 10-7, maybe a 16-13 at max 24-21 game. I didn't think there would be that many points. And if you would have told me before the game that the Jaguars were going to score 45 points, I would have told you you were out of your mind because I didn't think Blake Bortles was capable of putting that many points on the board. He only threw one touchdown pass, but, hey, that's all he needed to throw. And, you know, he may not wow you with his stats and with his numbers, but he picks up huge first downs on third downs with his legs. You know, he he's making good decisions. He's not turning the ball over. He's not hurting his team in any way. Now, he may be the Achilles heel of that team, and he may be the reason that they can't get past New England because I don't think New England's going to allow Jacksonville to run the ball on them. Jacksonville is going to have to play their absolute best game on offense all season long on the offensive front. Now, they played their best game yesterday. Their best game for an offensive line was yesterday against the Pittsburgh Steelers, and they manhandled the Steelers. I think the Steelers have more talent in their front seven, way more talent in their front seven than the Patriots do. So outside of scheme, it's can Jacksonville beat the scheme of the defense that New England's going to try to play against them to shut down that run and try to force Blake Bortles to beat them over the top, which I, you know, I'm not sure Blake Bortles can do. So, you know, and the Jaguars defense is going to have a huge test covering Gronkowski and Brandon Cooks, but hey, Jalen Ramsey and A.J. Boye, they have the corners for it. They have safeties that make plays. And they have two absolute stud inside linebackers with Miles Jack and Telvin Smith who are going to both be responsible for Rob Gronkowski. And it's going to be on the Jaguars' defensive line. Can Saxonville get sacks 
this upcoming weekend against Tom Brady and the New England Patriots. They have the talent to do so, and that's going to be their only chance. Because New England is going to put a couple of points on the board regardless. Regardless if the Jaguars' defense plays their absolute best game of the season, New England's still going to put up at least 21 points. It's just what they do. It's who they are. They always find a way. Couple of keys to the game that we'll get into. Jacksonville cannot allow Tom Brady or the New England Patriots to have a short field with a two-minute warning. See, like the, the, the hurry-up offense. That's what I mean to say. Tom Brady is an absolute killer. When he gets the ball with two minutes, you know, exactly, maybe two minutes over, maybe a little under the two-minute warning, he goes into that hurry-up two-minute offense. He's a killer. He puts points on the board. He'll find a way to get the, the pats in field goal range or he'll put them in the end zone like he did against Tennessee. So Jacksonville has to avoid that. Jacksonville needs to finish the first half of this game either tied with the lead and the ball in their hands to finish the second half. They cannot allow Tom Brady to have a two-minute drive before halftime. That will be an absolute killer if Jacksonville allows that. So the Jags are moving on. The Steelers are going home. Steeler fans, I'm sorry. I'm sure you were excited watching the comeback. It was a hell of an effort. You put up a hell of a fight in the second half. What a game it was. 45-42. Jags are moving on. Lil Duval, probably real excited down in Jacksonville with all 20 Jacksonville Jaguar fans that exist because I've still yet to meet one in my life. But hey, they've been packing that stadium. They packed that stadium for the playoff game. There were a lot of Bills fans. But hey, regardless how big their fan base is or not, they're a professional football team. You know, and, and I could run you down the list of Jacksonville and who they've been since 2011. And it's astonishing to see where they are today. To, to, to be plain and simple about it, the Jacksonville Jaguars, since 2011, have not finished with better than the fifth worst record in the NFL. So every season since 2011, I can't remember the exact order, but they, they finished with the third worst record in the league in 2011, 2012, 2013, 2014, 2015, and 2016. They did not finish higher than the fifth worst record in the NFL. And now in 2017, you know, with, with an absolute monster of a defense, they, they have spent draft pick after draft pick on their defense over the years, their second round picks, their late round picks. They have continued in free agency to develop their defense. They, they found some offensive linemen. They drafted Blake Bortles a couple of years ago, 2015, third overall. Now, Bortles may not be a world beater, but he's winning games. And you have, you know, last year they go, they go third overall. They take Leonard Fournette, a fourth overall. I apologize. Fourth overall, they take Leonard Fournette, who I didn't think would be this much of a difference maker for them because they did have Chris Ivory and TJ Yeldon, even though Ivory is being paid to not even play anymore. I'm not sure why, but hey, they, you know, Fournette and Yeldon are, an absolute monster duo together. Like I said, we could have probably an hour-long conversation on running back duos in the NFL. And, you know, there's some guys that are injured that we could throw into the mix. So, you know, Jacksonville has invested in their future for years. And 
they had to get rid of Gus Bradley after last season. You know, he he just with, with all the talent that he had and all the weapons that he had, he just wasn't putting it together. Doug Marone comes in. He was this man. This man was fired from the Buffalo Bills. Fired after two eight and eight seasons for not getting them into the postseason when they didn't have what you know they didn't have the players to be a playoff team. So now he has this uh, this unbelievably underrated roster with you know a stud on pretty much every single level on every single position of that team. I mean they have. Three studs on the defensive line. Malik Jackson, uh, Dante Fowler Jr., and Calais Campbell. The other kid's really good too. And, and Dukeway and Dikeway. I, I don't know how to say his name. I apologize. He's a stud too. He's the one who made the huge, uh, strip sack on Big Ben yesterday. And you have, you know, you have Telvin Smith and Miles Jack at linebacker. You have Jalen Ramsey and Tashawn Gibson at, Gibson at safety. I, I mean, they had studs everywhere. They have Alan Hearns at receiver. You know, they lost Alan Robinson early in the season in the first game. Alan Robinson went down toward ACL. They're missing a big weapon also. They have that young kid, Cole, who is the rookie. He is making unbelievable plays week after week. Marquise Lee, third-year guy out of USC, is playing his tail off every week. And the Jags are finding ways to win games. They have done it all season. They finished 10-6. and six. Wasn't the greatest finish for them. You know, they lost a couple of their, their final games. They lost to San Francisco and Jimmy Garoppolo. Who we'll get into the Jimmy G story down the line. But Jacksonville, congratulations, Jacksonville. Congratulations to your organization, to your fans. Congratulations to your team. Congratulations to your players. Congratulations to the entire city of Jacksonville. I, I bet this has to be amazing for you guys. This is your first AFC title appearance, AFC championship game appearance since 1999. This is awesome. I, I, I love to watch the underdog win. My team is an underdog. The New York Jets are an underdog. They've been an underdog so many times. I mean, it's so cool to see the underdog take down the top dog and it would be it would be the biggest upset in postseason history if the Jacksonville Jaguars and Blake Bortles can go to Foxborough and beat the New England Patriots. And it's possible. With that defense, anything is possible. So congratulations, Jacksonville. I'm happy for you guys. I'm happy for your entire city, your team, your players, your organization, your coaching staff. Lil Duval down in Jacksonville. Duval! Give Duval a shout out, everybody. I, I, I really can't, I just, I can't express my excitement for how, how happy I am for the Jacksonville Jaguars. There's nothing better than watching a team that is just absolutely awful for so long have such a magical season. And the Jacksonville Jaguars have done exactly that. So, congratulations, Jacksonville. You're heading to Foxborough. You're heading to the AFC Championship game. You're going up against Tom Brady, the great one. You're going up against Darth Vader, Bill Belichick, and the New England Patriots. So let's see if your magical season can continue. Round of applause for the Jacksonville Jaguars.
This is The Sandlot with your host, Jordan Charles, and we will be right back. You get the bag and fumble it, I get the bag and flip it and tumble it. Straight off the lot, 300 cash, can the car came with a blunt in it. Little mama a thot, and she got ass, that she gon' fuck up a bag. Pull up to the spot, living too fast, dropping the dip in the stash. In Italy, got too far, hoes they DM me. Drive the top, when it's cold but you feel the heat. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the Sandlot with your host, Jordan Charles. Thank you for tuning in today. I hope you guys enjoy the episode. We are almost finished here. We're going to finish up with last night's wild finish between the New Orleans Saints and the Minnesota Vikings. I did pick the New Orleans Saints to win this ball game, and I'll tell you what, until the last 10 seconds of the game, I was correct. But Case Keenum, Stefan Diggs, and the Minnesota Vikings had other plans for me and my playoff bracket, and that's okay. I'm happy to see Minnesota moving on. They deserve it. It was a wild play. You could call it luck. You could call it magic. Just don't call it late for dinner. Ha ha. Yeah, pun intended. Anyway, the Minnesota Vikings had pretty much no hope there at the end of the game. So we'll start off from the beginning. We'll we'll start off right from the get-go and talk about some things that happened during the game. So... The Vikings come out and they punch the Saints right in the teeth. They let the Saints know right away, we're here to play. You're in Minnesota. You're the road team. You're banged up. You're tired. You've been fighting to get into the postseason. We had a first round bye. We're nice and fresh. We're not tired out. We're ready to rumble. Anthony Barr made a huge play on defense. The running game was really nice. Latavius Murray, Jarek McKinnon. So the Vikings take a 17 to nothing lead come out and just completely whooping the Saints up and down the field. So while dominating the Saints for two and a half quarters, I mean, just, you know, kicking the snot out of them, the Saints offense wasn't moving the ball, but the Vikings offense just couldn't seem to put it away, just couldn't seem to get that final blow, that final touchdown to really put the game out of reach from Drew Brees and the New Orleans Saints. And, you know, with the weapons... In New Orleans and, you know, with the, the passion of Drew Brees, I love Drew Brees. You know, I'll argue to the day I die that he is top five quarterbacks to ever play in the NFL. And, you know, for being undersized his entire career and overlooked and, you know, underhyped, you know, nobody wanted him when he was a free agent. To go to New Orleans and inherit such a mess of a franchise at the time and take it over with Sean Payton, what they've done in New Orleans, making that team competitive almost year in and year out with a good defense or not, they've done a lot of great things in New Orleans. And I, I'm, I'm a huge Drew Brees guy. So, you know, I'm in, I was in Walmart when it happened, when, when the Saints started to come back. I had to take a Walmart trip, go grocery shopping. So I was watching the game on my phone. It's 17 not to Minnesota, like four minutes to go in the third quarter. And I said, okay, well, if the Saints are going to come back, they got to do it now. So the Saints come out, Drew Brees is driving, the ball gets tipped by Everson Griffin, Anthony Barr picks it off, and I thought that would have been it. I thought Minnesota will come out here, and that'll be it. They'll find a way to finish the game, put one more in the end zone, and call it a day. But that's not how it went. A huge interception by Saints uh, rookie safety, Marcus Williams, 
you know, help keep the Saints in the game. Michael Thomas and Xavier Rhodes went at it all day long. Michael Thomas did have a really good game, seven catches, 89 yards, and two scores on Xavier Rhodes to help bring them back. Uh, the Saints battle all the way back. They hit Alvin Kamara for a, I believe, a 16-yard touchdown pass in the right corner of the end zone to take the lead. And this is where things got interesting. Now, I'm sure we all watched it unfold, but I guess I'll just, you know, add it to the show anyway. So Minnesota's down 21-20. They come out three minutes and something seconds to go in the game. They drive down. They get in field goal range. They take the lead, 23-21. But they left a minute and a half on the clock, and the Saints had two timeouts. That's entirely too much time for one man, Drew Brees. Now, Drew Brees did what Drew Brees does. On a 4th and 10, 4th and 10, this could have sealed the game for Minnesota. They, he finds Willie Sneed in, in this little tiny pocket on the left sideline. Crazy throw in double coverage, 4th and 10. Willie Sneed was open in double coverage somehow. Brees put it only where he could get it to take, you know, to, to keep the drive alive. So the Saints end up kicking a field goal and going up 24 to 23. What a turn of events, right? 30 seconds to go in the game. Vikings have no timeouts left. What do they do, right? What's going to happen next? I'm sorry, the Vikings had one timeout. But what are you to do as an NFL team, a coach, a quarterback? You fought all day long. You've had the lead. You had a big lead. You blew it. You took the lead back with two minutes to go. Now you've given it back again. Your defense that has you know, saved you all season long. That was the Michael Thomas receiving touchdown. Michael Thomas's first receiving touchdown was the first touchdown this, uh, the Vikings defense had given up since week 14. Now, I know at the end of the year they played a couple of scraps, but that doesn't matter. It was the first offensive touchdown they'd given up since week 14. So they were on a roll defensively, and then all of a sudden they kind of fell apart there in the fourth quarter. So what are you to do? You're down one point with 30 seconds, no timeouts, or one timeout. You know you're going to end up using that one timeout if you throw anything over the middle of the field, which they did. They, you know, they take the ensuing kickoff. They end up, where were they? On the, they, I believe Keenum threw one over the middle of the field to uh, McKinnon, and they had to burn their final timeout. So now they're on the 39-yard line, they were. Yeah, they were on the 30, Minnesota first and 10 from the 39-yard line, I believe it was. And, you know, now you need at least 35, 45 yards on a play just to kick a field goal, just to try to kick a field goal. And, you know, you got to get out of bounds. The Saints had the game in hand, pretty much. We, We all know this. We all watch football. We all know there's 10 seconds left on the clock. Minnesota needs 35 yards to get in the field goal range to even have a shot at a liable field goal. And all the Saints need to do is make a tackle. Make a tackle, a normal play, a normal tackle, inbounds, and the game is over. So Keenum drops back. Great protection against Cam Jordan in that Saints pass rush. Great protection. Case Keenum drops back. Cox won back. I don't even know if he knew where he was throwing it. I'm sure he was just taking a heave, you know, 30, 40 yards downfield. He was making sure that he could at least, you know, if he was going to throw one more pass, last pass this season, one last pass this season, it needed to be 
at least 40 yards down the field to give his team a chance to kick a field goal. And he put it in a perfect spot. I mean, I'm not sure he even knew he threw that great of a ball, but he put it right on Stefan Diggs. Even if Stefan Diggs didn't stay on his feet and take it for a touchdown, he could have jumped out of bounds as soon as he caught that ball and the Vikings would have been in field goal range either way. So they probably had a chance to kick the game-winning field goal. But for some reason, this young rookie, Marcus Williams, now I know what happened to him, and I'm going to tell you what happened to him, and it's what is happening to defensive backs all over the NFL. It's happening in college, and who knows? Maybe it's even trickled down to high school. I really don't know. But this young man, Stefan Diggs, makes an awesome catch. He goes up, makes a great catch. Marcus Williams misses the tackle by about a good foot. You just see him completely whiff underneath his legs. Stefan Diggs, athletic, fast guy, somehow comes down, stays on his feet, puts his hand in the dirt, turns it around, and scores a 61-yard touchdown as time expires to send the Minnesota Vikings to Philadelphia to go to the NFC Championship game. What a play. What a play. I mean, wow. That was some, that was astonishing. It really was. It was. I don't think there's been, besides the immaculate reception that happened in Pittsburgh, that has to be the greatest play in playoff history. It has to be. I mean, if you count Santonio Holmes' touchdown against the Cardinals, you know, that, that's probably the biggest play in Super Bowl history, or the David Tyree catch, or the Mario Manningham catch you know, to beat the the Patriots in the second Super Bowl for the Giants. But when it comes to divisional round football, divisional playoff games, wild card, divisional round, championship weekend, Stefan Diggs just made the play of his life. Just made the play of a lifetime, and so did Case Keenum. And I can't give enough props to Case Keenum. You know, he came in as a backup behind Sam Bradford. Bradford comes out on Monday night against the Saints, none other than the Saints, to open the season, and lights the Saints' defense up. Sam Bradford looks great. Everybody's like, ooh, ah, everyone's in awe again. Lo and behold, Sam Bradford then goes home and takes a shower and slips in the shower and hurts his knee. (laughs) You know, Sam Bradford, the guy just can't catch a break. I don't think the Minnesota Vikings would be where they are right now if Sam Bradford was their quarterback. I really don't. I think Case Keenum, what he has done for this Minnesota Vikings team is astonishing. Now, he's not going to get all the credit he deserves. He's not going to get all the credit in the world. He's not going to get a big contract. He might not even be the Vikings starter next season. That might go right back to Sam Bradford, even though it should stay Case Keenum's job for as long as he wants it. I don't think Teddy Bridgewater is going to be on that team next season. I think Teddy Bridgewater is going to be finding a new home because he has a pretty big contract, and I'm not sure they want to have a three-way quarterback controversy when they could just have a two-way quarterback controversy. So looking ahead, I mean, Case Keenum, he deserves the Minnesota Vikings job. And, you know, I, I can't give Case Keenum enough props. The guy, he's, he's played his tail off all season long. He's been a great leader. He's been a great guy in the locker room. You know, his head coach refuses to give him any credit. And yet he, you know, he doesn't care. He doesn't care. He's been benched. He's been cut. He's been booed. He's been, you know, spit on. He's had things thrown at him in the stands. 
He's, you know, been replaced for a rookie, you know, last season in Los Angeles. The guy has faced every ounce of adversity you could possibly face as an NFL quarterback. Case Keenum has faced it. And at 31 years old, he comes in and leads the Minnesota Vikings on probably the greatest play in divisional round history, probably the greatest moment of his entire life. The guy was in shock after the game. Did you see him? Did you see the shock on his face? He had no idea what even happened. He really, he had no clue. He had no clue that they really just won the game because of him, because he put a throw on the money to Stefan Diggs and his guy made a play. So big ups to Case Keenum. I couldn't possibly imagine what's going through his mind right now and how great this has to be for him. But like I said, the guy has faced more adversity than any other guy who is starting in these playoffs right now. Case Keenum has gone through the most and he deserves some respect. He deserves big ups for what he's done this season for the Minnesota Vikings. And I'm proud of Case Keenum. I am really happy to see things going this way for him. So you know what? Sometimes, you know, everybody, you know, everyone's going to be, you know, oh, it was luck. It was this. It was that. Sometimes the great teams get a little bit of luck to push them forward. Sometimes a little bit of luck and a little bit of believing is all you need to make the play that you need to win the ball game. And that's what happened with the Minnesota Vikings. So the Minnesota Vikings are moving on, going to the NFC Championship game, hosted in Philadelphia. We have Case Keenum and Nick Foles. Two guys who were teammates last season in Los Angeles now went their separate ways after the Jeff Fisher regime that has destroyed so many other quarterbacks. And now they are facing each other in the NFC Championship game. Who would have thought? If you would have told me at the beginning of the season that Nick Foles and the, would be leading the Eagles and Case Keenum would be leading the Vikings to the NFC Championship game, I would have, you know, I would have told you you need to be drug tested. But the NFL is a funny sport, it's a funny world, it's a funny league, and things happen. And now we have probably the three most unlikely quarterbacks left of the Final Four, along with Tom Brady. I mean, this group, this group, it's like a group of three outcasts that nobody likes and nobody wants, and then the golden boy Tom Brady. So, you know, it's, it's, it's the epitome of the perfect child and the step-siblings that, you know, oh, well, they're just around for marriage. You know, they're, they're just around because of marriage. They're not really my family. They're not really a part of this. You know, but they are. They are a part of this. And, you know, the Super Bowl, the Super Bowl is going to come down to who's going to play better. Is Nick Foles going to outplay Case Keenum? Is Case Keenum going to outplay Nick Foles? We're going to see. We'll find out what happens. We're going to have two monster defenses in Philadelphia going at it with each other. It's going to be amazing. I think it's going to be a great, a great game. Right now, early picks off the top of my head. I am going to take Philadelphia with the home field advantage. And I am rolling with the underdog, Jacksonville Jaguars, you know, because I just don't like New England and I refuse to sit here and verbally say that they're going to another Super Bowl. I don't want to do it, so I'm not going to do it. And I'm going to roll with the underdog. They found a way to do it yesterday. I picked them over Pittsburgh. I picked them over Buffalo. You know, they've been an underdog almost all season. They're going to be probably 13 or 14-point dogs again heading into New England. 
So I'm rolling with the Jacksonville Jaguars, and I'm going with a Jacksonville. The Jacksonville Jaguars and the Philadelphia Eagles are going to meet each other in the Super Bowl. So let's find out. We'll find out this weekend. It's going to be a great weekend. Thank you guys for tuning in so much. It's such a great feeling to be back. I'm glad I got the show back and rolling. You know, I'm a tad rusty, and you know what? I just finished the last of this episode in my car on the drive to work, this entire Viking segment, so I hope it was good for you. I did not have my notes in front of me, but I wanted to bring you guys a brand new episode before I went into work today, and I wanted to hop on. I wanted to hop on this this train of talking about yesterday's games before everybody else got to it. So I'm glad that I could do that. I'm glad that I could finish the episode. And we are coming to the end here. Thank you so much for tuning in. This is The Sandlot with your host, Jordan Charles. Like, listen, comment, subscribe to my channel on CastBox. This way you'll get a notification every time a new episode of mine is posted. You guys are the absolute best. My last episode broke a new record for most listens in a single for a single episode, and you know I, I kept checking it every couple of hours to see if anybody else was listening. Thank you guys so much. You guys have been great to me, and I'm going to continue to be great to you guys. And we're going to keep building this show up until one day we have our own radio station, and we have our own booth, and we have our own microphones. And we are a national show. I would love to be a nationwide show. I would love to, I would love to have you guys be a part of it. I swear if this ever blows up, I'm going to have jobs for a whole ton of people. So you guys keep listening, keep liking, keep subscribing. I love you guys. I will, I will talk to you in the middle of the week. I will let you know when I am posting a new episode. This one's going up right now on Facebook. So thank you guys so much for tuning in. This is The Sandlot with your host, Jordan Charles. Have a great day, ladies and gentlemen.